The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute committed to providing the tools, trainings, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Lissa Rankin, is an MD, founder of the Whole Health Medicine Institute, and author of a number of books, including Mind Over Medicine and The Fear Cure. Her newest book, The Daily Flame, 365 Love Letters from Your Inner Pilot Light, has just been published by Soundstrue. An interview with Dr. Rankin appears in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Lisa Rankin, welcome to a, con- uh, to a conversation with, an essential conversation with Rabbi Rami. <laughs> Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a delight. The book was really interesting. I'll tell you right from the start, you know how to write. I mean, the book, you know, th- this book is written with a lot of grace, a lot of style, and a lot of passion. And I know this is your truth. But in the beginning of the book, you make the case that really you can't turn to books for wisdom. And you're asking people to listen to their inner pilot light. And I get a sense that what I'm hearing in the book, and this is why, to me personally, the book was interesting, is I'm hearing your inner pilot light. In, in fact, at the end of the book, you write, and this is a quote that you, from, from your book, you did it. You devoted 365 days to communing with your inner pilot light. So I admit I skipped to the end of the book. I didn't spend 365 days. <laughs> you know, the book hasn't been out that long. Uh, but I, I got to the end. But did I commune with my inner pilot light, or did I commune with your inner pilot light? Well, it's a great question. When I first started writing these daily flames as a free daily email in 2009, it started as my daily practice because I was, I'm a writer. I've been a writer my whole life. And so I, as part of my practice, would sit down in the morning with my journal and say, ask my inner pilot light, what do you want me to know today? And something would come through that felt like it bypassed my conscious mind. I wasn't thinking it up. It's more like it was dropping in. And I started reading them to some of my friends. I had just started blogging, and my friends were like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. How did you know? And so I had this sort of impulse. Well, I wonder if it's not just my inner pilot, right? But I wonder if 
there's a sort of universal truth that whatever you want to call it, the collective consciousness or the gnosis field, that any one of us could tap into at any point and let it drop in. And so absolutely, these began as my communication from my deep soul wisdom, perhaps through the portal of my own consciousness, from whatever, that, whatever you want to call that consciousness, God, goddess, uh, Shakti, <laughs> uh, wisdom. Uh, and so over time, I started asking other people, what does your inner pilot light need to hear today? And so I would almost use my own portal to receive wisdom on behalf of somebody else. And so this book in particular came through last year. I wrote all new content because my mother was dying. And anybody who's lost a parent, and I was going through the whole hospice caregiving thing, knows that if you love and are close to your parent at all, uh, it's heartbreaking. It's cracked open heart space. And so from that space was where I sort of as my own medicine to help myself and my mother through that difficult transition, uh, allowing that field of love to flow through me. Uh, I, I didn't really expect it to turn into a book was kind of medicine for myself. And I was shocked when Sounds True offered me a book deal for it because I never intended it to actually be a book. Well, that's always... Yeah, that's always a nice surprise. Listen, let me let me ask you a question. So now, now we're we're on your topic, but off my topic in a sense. I want to talk about the experience with your mom in this book. So, did you read any of this to her? I did. Yeah, well, she was um, diagnosed and died within nine months, and so we spent that nine months going traveling around the world. I took her on places that she wanted to go on her bucket list. We went to safari in Africa. We went to Italy. Uh, and then we wound up at her lake house. And so as she was resting, which she was needing to do a lot, and I was writing, then I was reading these to her, and they were comforting to her. So part of it, like I said, was medicine for, for me, for her. And again, because my heart was so open, it was like something was coming through more potently than when I was writing your, the emails 10 years ago. So it sounds like you're, well, I mean, I suppose we should define the inner pilot light, though you did. I mean, you're saying it's sort of the voice of God or goddess or spirit or, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to have you read a piece of the book that really sort of goes into this in a little bit more detail. But bef before I ask you to do that, do you, do you think, and this is obviously speculation, but just reading to your mom, as she's, you know, running out the clock, the nine-month clock, reading to her near the end, could you, did she say anything that let you know this resonates? Did you see anything in her physically? I mean, you're a doctor, you're an MD, so, so you, you, you know the signs of dying. Could you see any resonance or, yeah, I think resonance is what I'm looking for. Any resonance with her soul resonating with your soul? Origin, uh, originated messages? I think I understand what you're asking. I, I definitely felt a sense of entrainment. Is That's a good word. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely felt a sense of entrainment of, I was taking, taking on the responsibility of midwifing. I w I'm trained as an OBGYN. And so there is this kind of midwifery, I think, that goes on 
when a life, a consciousness, an inner pilot light is coming into a body. And then again, when an inner pilot light is going out of a body. And so that entrainment into the vibration where that kind of transition might have more ease or even joy, or I I was very aware that there was a portal there and that I had the choice to go through it with my mother as a kind of shared near-death experience. Uh, And so part of this was preparing the portal to get close to that numinous territory. It was quite painful, but the kind of pain that if you go all the way down into the pit of it, you know, the very thing that you're afraid of experiencing when you're in deep grief, if you lean all the way into it, what you discover is there's nothing there but unconditional love. Like at the ground of being, there's just love. And so it was that that was coming through while I was holding that space with her. Okay, so here's an amazing metaphor, I guess, or an image that you gave us sort of midwifing one into death. You know, it's, I, I get, I mean, you're, you were trained, like you said, uh, as an OBGYN, so you've, you've midwived you know, people into this life, but now you're midwifing into, into what? Into that field of love or into another body, into another existence? What's your sense of where the pilot light goes next, if anywhere? Well, gosh, isn't that the great mystery? I mean, the honest answer is I don't know, but I guess my cosmology is such that we kind of all come from the the great flame, from the eternal flame, and that as we kind of split off as a spark of consciousness and embody to go through this human experience, that, I don't know, perhaps that spark retains its uniqueness, its kind of flavor of individuality of separateness, but then returns to the eternal flame again. And I don't know whether we reincarnate and that flame gets kind of, you know, uh, cooked and formed in different ways through our different soul lessons and experiences in a human body. This is, this is the mystery that I don't know, but Mm. I do think that we, we go back to the one. Yeah. Well, you know, when you use a flame imagery and I'm not going to ask you to read something from your book about that, uh, uh, right from the beginning of the book on, on page one in just a second. But when you use a flame imagery, it's a little more difficult as opposed to a classic Hindu uh, metaphor of the ocean and the wave. So, you know, if you're, if, if you're a wave on the divine ocean, when you die, you just go back to who you really are, which is the, the divine whole. It's, it's more difficult when you know, you're working with the, the fire image. But you, you do a really interesting thing with it on page one. Can you read us the paragraph that starts, Every Life Begins? I can. Every life begins when a small spark of the eternal flame of cosmic consciousness splits off like a glowing ember of a universal bonfire. This unique spark ignites as the organizing intelligence that creates your organs, divides your cells, and develops you perfectly into a precious being decorated with thoughts, preferences, gifts, talents, emotions, and eccentricities. The inner pilot light begins in every baby as the untainted, radiant, buoyant light of God-Goddess, but often gets filmed over by trauma, conditioning, and the illusion of separation from the eternal flame, from that which, which this unique spark arises. Yeah, that is really, a, I mean, you really set out your belief really clearly there, I think. 
And I have a question. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm a nitpicker. So I, I want to I take a look at this because I think if we go into it a, a little more deeply, we'll, we'll learn something even more from what, uh, what you're thinking than even from what comes out on the page. So there's a single, and, and if I'm wrong, or I do, you know, if you disagree, just jump in here. But here, this is what I'm getting, that there's a single divine reality, of, uh, you know, the, the, the bonfire. And everything is a spark of the bonfire. So, so let me stop with that. So I'm asking, uh, if it were me uh, saying it, I would say everything is a spark, not just humans, everything. So is that your sense too, or do you just say this is a human thing? I do. No, absolutely. I think it's everything. And I very much resonate with both the Hindu Tantra traditions and, and the indigenous spirituality animism, such that for me, when I'm talking about the inner pilot light, and this starts to get a bit esoteric, but I think of it as the divine feminine, which in the Tantra tradition is the, the form, the form, whereas the eternal flame or you might call it the ground of being in Advaita Vedanta or whatever, uh, what might be the divine masculine, the stillness or the void, the emptiness. This is the fullness, the everythingness, the unique individual creation of form of, of everything, of all life and in the indigenous traditions, all uh, matter, like an, um, a mountain and an ocean and a stone would have consciousness in form as much as a human. Um, but, this, but the inner pilot light metaphor of it is the feminine variation of that, the form variation as opposed to the formless, which is just as much divine, but in a different expression. This is kind of a celebration of the goddess in my cosmology. Well, it, it is in mine also. Uh, I, I am a devotee of the divine mother in my own way. And, you know, you're, you're referencing Hindu uh, uh, traditions, Advaita Vedanta, and, and uh, indigenous traditions. Also, though, uh, so our listeners know this, <clears throat> in the Judeo-Christian, if we can even talk that way, I don't like that term necessarily, but in the biblical tradition, so, but in the biblical tradition, in the book of Proverbs, in, just to be specific, chapter 8, verse 22, the divine feminine speaks for herself, and she tells us that she is the way that the universe is created. So she's the Tao. She's the, in, in the, again, to use Hindu imagery, they talk about uh, there's a snake and the slithering of the snake, a diamond and the sparkling of a diamond. So, so the way you were just saying it, the, you might say the diamond, the passive, the inert is the masculine, but the active, the happening, is, is the feminine. So, so this really crosses religious boundaries and at least from my studies and my experience is is universally uh, universally spoken of and then i would make the claim that it's also true want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit join artist Susie k edwards for path of the butterfly a weekend workshop at omega institute's beautiful campus in rhinebeck new york may 24 through 26 Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. 
So we've got this singular reality, and we're going to call it the divine feminine or goddess, or you know, choose, choose your, but people should know you're talking about the, the feminine. And she, manif- and this is a question, she's manifesting in infinite variety? Yes. So how, and the pilot light, you know, your inner spirit, your inner voice, your inner wisdom, and your pilot light knows that it is her. I mean, to sort of paraphrase, tat tvam asi, thou art that. But your pilot light knows this. Not you personally, but I mean, one's pilot light, right? Knows this. Yeah, I mean, I would, to use theological terms, I would call it the imminent divinity. It is the God that is in you and of you and knows that I am that. Right. So you mentioned, but it's so quick, and I want you to go into it more, how how we forget, how that gets covered over, you say filmed over by trauma and conditioning. But why does that, is that inevitable? I think it's part of why we come. Again, I don't know, this is the great mystery. Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? But I think that we come here to experience certain glorious, joyous, ecstatic experiences and to highlight the... Uh, duality, because again, the goddess is about du- the duality. It's about the uh, the polarities, uh, whereas you might say the the god or the divine masculine is about the non-dual. Uh, and so, I think we do come to experience certain traumas as a way to learn. I don't know resilience, compassion, unconditional love of ourselves and others. Um, yeah, I don't, again, I don't know, and it gets very complicated, especially because I'm a doctor. When I start talking about health issues, for example, why, do, why does a two-year-old get cancer? Why does uh, the kindest, most gentle, compassionate person on the planet get a devastating neurological illness and suffer horrible pain? And I could get into my whole cosmology around that, but it would take long, longer than we have. But what I... What I have seen, my, my mentor was Rachel Naomi Remen, who's an 81-year-old doctor who had chronic illness her whole life. And I see that some of the deepest people that I know, some of the most loving, open-hearted, whole-hearted people that I've met are the people that have experienced the greatest suffering in this life. And the people that have had charmed lives often do not have that, I don't know, sacred, holy gravity. I, I think you're talking about what the mystics call the dark night of the soul, what 12-step people will call hitting rock bottom. Something has to shatter our illusion of separation, our illusion of, of the, the egoic structures, and, and you can't do that yourself. And the illusion of control, that, that's absolutely key. In, in 12-step and, and liberating, I would think. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, in, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I actually know the page number, page 62, uh, Bill W. says the first thing you have to do is quit playing God. And he's talking to the ego. You know, and and if, I, if I'm reading your book right, I'm, uh, I'm reading the, uh, the words of a person who has quit playing God and who realizes, because the pilot light knows this to be so, that God is playing you in this case. I love that reframe. Yes, that's exactly how my life feels. I feel like I am, I have chosen, I, I should say, I made a choice to surrender my life to my inner pilot light and the way that 
God, goddess wishes to express through me and to uh, surrender my, my, my personal will. My, so how do you do that? Uh, how? <laughs> that is, I have a practice that I use at least 10 times a day. Even though I spent 10 years practicing it, I forget at least 10 times a day. Yeah. That is an active uh, meditation practice that you can do very quickly or you can take longer. That where basically anytime I notice that my mind is grasping either for something that I want or a problem I think I have to solve or a decision that I'm trying to decide or something try- bad that I think might happen that I feel it's my responsibility to avoid, these are my cues to trigger the practice of like, oh, there I go, trying to play God again, thinking that my mind can handle this better than my inner pilot light. And it's an active practice to put it in a kind of God box. It doesn't have to, I have an actual God box, but uh, I I also have a a God box in my heart so that I can do this in 30 seconds if I notice that that's, there I go again, because it's a constant practice of the, the forgetting and then the remembering. It's, it's a similar practice. It sounds like a similar practice to uh, self-inquiry, Ramana Maharshi's, whenever you, you notice a thought coming up or a feeling coming up and you ask yourself, well, who's feeling this? And you realize, or who's thinking this? You realize that there's a lot, the ego's thinking it, and that there's a much larger self, um, the divine spark, the divine mother, however, you know, pilot light, there's a much larger reality that is observing it but isn't trapped in it at all, can appreciate it, can love it, can, you know, just sort of let it be what it is uh, without having to change anything, but is not attached or enslaved to it. And it sounds to me that's... It's similar to that. I, it's, it's quite different, though, in that I, I have been very much uh, influenced by Richard Schwartz and his work with Internal Family Systems, IFS, which to me is a psychology trauma treatment that is uh, a way to come into resonance with one's own inner pilot light. And Dick and I are going to be teaching together about the implications of IFS as treatment for medical conditions this year. Mm. But uh, part of that practice is instead of demonizing the mind or trying to uh, sort of bypass the thoughts or the ego or any of that, it's really about becoming intimate with all of those parts and loving them and having compassion for them so that they learn to trust the inner pilot light so that you can surrender. So again, the whole IFS model uh, teaches you the how of how do you surrender to your inner pilot light. Dick calls it the self with a capital S, but it basically is the same, the same concept that's taught in all of the esoteric traditions, all of the mystical traditions. So tell us, right, which is, which is what I asked. So you actually answered it by you know, pointing us in this direction, but it went by quick, so so I'm not sure everyone got it. Say say his name and... Uh, Richard Schwartz. He's a family therapist, and his model is called Internal Family Systems, IFS. I recommend the book, You Are the One You've Been Waiting For. Oh, okay. I'm familiar with that book. Yeah. So, and you and he are teaching somewhere if people want to find out about that? We are. We're going to be teaching at the IFS conference, which is mostly for therapists, but anybody can come. Uh, we're going to be doing a pre-conference all-day thing about IFS as, as its implications for treatment of medical conditions, because what I've seen and what the therapists who are practicing this as treatment for basically everything in the, in the DSM uh, is that when you're treating people's 
psychiatric problems or the things that we would demonize or pathologize like the addict part or the suicide part or the sociopath part or the depressed part, then the side effect is that people's medical conditions are, quote unquote, spontaneously remitting. And of course, this caught my attention when I found out and they, they did one study for rheumatoid arthritis using IFS for treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, showing statistically significant results. So I'm very interested in this overlap of trauma and physical illness and the treatment of trauma with the side effect of, oh my gosh, people's illnesses are going, going away, which fits with what I wrote in Mind Over Medicine about the inner pilot light essentially being the healer. And that healing energy, that life force, whatever you want to call that field of consciousness that flows through us and animates us and ignites us, it's also a healing energy. It's, it's the muse, it's the mentor, it's your inner therapist, it's your inner doctor. And I'm not suggesting that we don't also need people outside of us. I think it's a bit of a paradox. Like you can heal yourself and you can't do it alone. Mm. But right. I think it's when we can actually activate that connection and really devote ourselves. And to me, that's a prayer. It's like, it's not something you control. It's something you humble yourself in front of and fall at the feet of to beg so, for help. Everything you're saying, it, yeah, go ahead. I'll try to finish that thought and I'm going to ask you something else because we're up against the clock, but go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Uh, I was just going to say that has healing power that is beyond measure. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely understand what you're saying and, and think that, you know, you, you articulate this really clearly. It sounds a little bit to me, though I think it goes beyond this maybe, uh, psychosynthesis by Sagioli, but that, that same acceptance of the diversity of our own, all the voices in, you know, in, our, in our heads. I, I want to ask yeah, you... Yeah, it does go beyond. It, it is, there are many people that were teaching multiplicity and Dick Schwartz has kind of taken it to the next level. Yeah, that's what... That's what it sounds like. So if people are interested, they should follow that up. I want to ask you one last question, and that's sort of put you on the spot here. Because you, you write, you write uh, in, in letter number 246, you've got this thing, and you say, the next time you're in the grocery store or coffee shop, find your calling right then and there. Show someone else that you see their inner pilot light and show them yours in return. So... As briefly as possible, I'm trying to imagine you're in the supermarket, and what what do you want us to do? What what am I supposed to like toss a head of lettuce at somebody? I mean, what 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 what's going to show them that I see their inner pilot like? Like I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Right? Yeah, I know. I thought of that, but that's I know that's not what you mean. So, and then you just get arrested. So, so what what? What do you have in mind? What were you thinking, if you can remember? Or what, what would you think now that someone could do in the, you know, in the grocery store, in the coffee shop? The first thing I would say is ask your own inner pilot light. Like, if, what would love do here? Not a boundary-violating kind of act, right? But what would love do here? So it might be as simple as somebody in the grocery store is rude and just cut you off, and you give them a, an understanding smile, like from that place of, wow, you've had a bad day, haven't you? Or you practice a random act of kindness and, you know, buy the, the gum that the person behind you was about to buy. Or you simply show up with a presence that can be healing. You don't have to say anything. You can make eye contact 
with the person at the cash register who's used to really entitled people just ignoring their presence altogether and ask them how their day is going and actually mean it. So the number of ways that you can be a healing presence without doing anything crazy will surprise you if you start actually asking and paying attention. I can't tell you how many times I feel the deep fulfillment of feeling like, oh my God, I got to be somebody else's miracle today. Yeah, I understand that. I think people are going to understand that when they hear this. I, I was in IHOP the other day and there was a mom with a couple of kids who were just, you know, acting out and she was so frustrated, not just with her kids, but what she projected onto the people sitting, onto the people sitting around her in the restaurant. And when I was done, I went over and I guess I found something that was so delightful about her kids. And I stopped and I said something about them, you know, a very positive something about them. And you could see her just, they don't hate me. <laughs> it was a little, a little blessing moment for her. So that's, that's exactly it. How can I be a blessing right now? This yeah. is the word that my teacher, Rachel Remen, uses a lot is being a blessing. Well, Not giving a blessing, which be, kind of right. belittles the other person, but being a blessing. Well, that's actually the core of, of, of my own work with my own foundation, the One River Foundation. Our whole thing is around Genesis 12, th- 3, where it says that we humans are to be a blessing to all the families of the earth, human and otherwise. So, yeah, we are, we are in agreement and we are out of time. <laughs> so <laughs> our guest today, Lisa Rankin, is the author of The Daily Flame, 365 Love Letters from Your Inner Pilot Light. An interview with Dr. Rankin appears in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine, and you can learn more about her work at innerpilotlight.com. Lisa, thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations. Oh, it's such a delight. Thank you for being such a blessing, Rami. Same to you. Thank you for being a blessing in my life. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. Our producer is Ezra Baker, and our executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, Don't take your dreams lying down.